Hello and welcome to Taboo Talk, the podcast brought to you by Boots that ask the taboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Vogue Williams, and today we are tackling an immensely tricky and emotive subject, how to talk about cancer. There is no use pretending that this episode won't be a difficult listen in parts, but hey, Taboo Talk doesn't shy away from the tough stuff. That is the whole point. And as with any of our apps, there are always some laughs and levity weaved in. On which note, I would like to say upfront that this episode does contain conversations surrounding cancer-related medical conditions and treatments, mental health issues and losing loved ones. Please bear that in mind when choosing whether to listen. If you're affected by anything you hear, please see our show notes for a list of support services. Macmillan is a charity partner of Boots and our Macmillan information pharmacists are available to provide support and information. There's more info on that and other related services at the end of the pod. The stats for cancer are grim, but necessary to know. The NHS reports that one in two of us, yes half, will be diagnosed with some form of cancer during our lifetimes. In the UK, the most common types of cancer are breast, lung, prostate and bowel cancers. It would be very rare indeed to find someone who hasn't been affected by cancer at all. And yet, probably because the stakes are so unbelievably high, many of us find the subject incredibly difficult to talk about. It is very hard to know what to say from any perspective, whether you're the person who has received the diagnosis or a loved one trying to offer support. How do you break the news and then deal with ongoing updates? How do you tell people you need support, help or to be left alone? And how do you offer appropriate support if you're trying to be there for someone else? What are the right and wrong things to say? One thing is for certain though, talking about it is entirely necessary. It is only through open and honest conversations that we can foster better understanding and come to terms with whatever the situation may be. Which is why I'm delighted to be able to introduce our three incredible guests. Colleen Nolan, who you'll either know from her singing days as one-sixth of the Nolan sisters or from her years as a TV regular who can now be seen on the ITV show Loose Women most weekdays. Of Colleen's five sisters, Bernie passed away from breast cancer in 2013. Linda has recently been informed that the cancer she was being treated for has spread to her brain and Anne has recovered from the illness twice. Colleen, therefore, has a unique perspective on how to navigate conversations around offering support while also trying to manage your own fears and grief. We are also lucky to be joined by singer and TV personality Michelle Heaton. After discovering she had the BRCA gene mutation in 2012, making her more susceptible to breast cancer, Michelle decided to undergo a preventative double mastectomy and breast reconstruction. In 2015, after the birth of her second child, she underwent a total hysterectomy to reduce the risk of ovarian cancer, triggering an early menopause. She has spoken openly about having to make these difficult decisions and also about having to address the subjects with her daughter, Faith, who has now a 50% chance of having having the inherited gene. Joining both Colleen and Michelle is Asmina Rose, Macmillan's lead for cancer patient experience. Asmina has worked within the subject for nearly 15 years and has also been a colorectal patient, which means colon cancer patient herself. Asmina therefore brings both a professional and personal perspective to answering the question, how best to talk about cancer. Colleen, Michelle and Asmina, welcome to Taboo Talk. Uh, Michelle, I'm going to start with you. Okay. So you had a double mastectomy in 2012 because you had the BRCA gene, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And how did you find out that you had that? So um, I found out I had that because I received an invitation um, from Newcastle um, 
it was the Newcastle Life Centre, um, which was heading up the research for BRCA gene. And it was because my dad had recently been tested for the gene, given the circumstances that his mum and her mum both had ovarian and breast cancer. And when his mum passed away, when she did, she was actually tested to see if she had carried a gene. Yeah. And that's how we know that it, it went through the lines of our family. So I was invited to be tested because my dad had the BRCA gene. So that means that you had a high chance of getting breast cancer or ovarian cancer, is yes, that right? Yes, that's right. So um, up to an 85% risk of breast cancer and up to 40% risk of ovarian cancer. Um, but at the, at the time at which I was told that that would be, you know, the risks. They also said that they had to take into consideration the age at which my grandma and her mum had ovarian and breast cancer. And so when I went for the test and I found out that I was positive, they then talked to me about the circumstances that were direct for me, which was that both my grandma and great-grandma had um, ovarian cancer in their late 30s and breast cancer in their early 30s. So they were quite young at having um, both. Um, Both, you know, fought it for many years and both subsequently died from um, breast cancer and my my great-grandma from ovarian cancer. And so for people who don't have, have the gene, how would you know if you had the gene within your family? To be able to be tested for BRCA, you have to have your mum or your dad be positive for BRCA. That's pretty much how it is. That's the rules of it. Yeah. Um, so say my my great-grandma and my grandma had breast cancer, but my dad, you know, given that he's the child of my grandma, didn't get tested, I wouldn't be invited to be tested. It had to be a direct link. Yeah. But if you have breast cancer running through your family, ovarian cancer, and it's been more than one person, and they've not been tested, you can't then be tested. Mm. So if there's any advice I would give for people who are wondering how to be tested for this, if there is a, is a link, and mm. it's it happened a lot, then as a family, it's really important to talk. And maybe if you were the person that wanted to know if you had it, then you need to get then your your mum or your grandma or whoever might have it, if they're still alive, obviously, to get tested so that you can. Yeah, It's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. It really is. Another thing that would be tricky, obviously, you found out you had the gene. Who did you tell first and how did you tell them? So um, Faith was six weeks old when I had the test, when I got told the results. And um, so she was, she was sat on my lap and my husband Hugh's next to me. And, um, you know, I didn't think I had it. Because yeah. I'm not sick, you know, like that yeah. silly of me to think that, but I'm not sick. I don't have breast cancer, you know, it's from my dad. And you think surely, you know, a, a father figure, a male figure can't pass this down. And, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but um, I just thought I, I can't have this. And um, as before I even sat down, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you have. And, um, well, he was speechless. You know, Colleen knows my husband quite well and he, he just didn't know what to say. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this baby and I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, everything's happening at once, you know. 
I'm breastfeeding Faith and I'm being told that I've got this 85% risk of breast cancer and then ovarian cancer. And then all these things come in my mind of, oh, I wanted to have another child, mm. right? Does that mean I can't? Does that mean I'm going to get it? And and to be honest, all of these questions were answered. I yeah. didn't hear any of it. All I all I heard was that I had it and I had mm. these risks. So it was really difficult um, to then make any rash decisions in that moment. Mm. But me being me, <laughs> Colleen knew me well mm. enough. You know, before I left, I I <clears throat> I said, right, well, I want to go down the route of of having a double mastectomy. So straight away, straight away, straight away. Um, At that time, you know, medicine isn't what it is today. We're talking like almost 12 years ago. So, um, you know, screening wasn't as as um, actively operated. Um, You know, testing wasn't as as, you know, far along as we are now. So I knew what options I had. And, and given the, the circumstances of the age, yeah, yeah, given the circumstances of the age of my grandma and her mum, it was just, um, yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah. And before you were having the operation, how did you, like, you? well, you had, um, Faith was born first in 2012. Yes. Is that right? And then AJ in 2014. So That's right. When did you have the operation? Was it after AJ was born or was it before? It was, um, it was six um, months after Faith was born. Yes. So I had my double mastectomy reconstruction six months, pretty much to the day after Faith was born. And then I had my hysterectomy six months after AJ was born. And why the hysterectomy? Because because of BRCA as well? Yes. So the hysterectomy was to eradicate or reduce the risk significantly to a normal person without BRCA of ovarian cancer. Um, I suppose... It's it's hard because like you get told you've got this risk and it's yeah. not quite fifty percent. But if you're in a room of like yeah, I don't know fifty women, and you get told that um, a third of them are are gonna have ovarian cancer, and you you don't know when you're gonna get it, so you can risk it and have another child, or yeah. you can do something about it now, or you can just keep an eye on things. Like the odds really aren't great, are they? So we kind of made the decision to to not have a, not have another baby, yeah. Potentially, and have my ovaries removed. And as we kind of had that open discussion, myself and my husband, um, we got pregnant with AJ, oh. um, and we were we were actively not trying. So <laughs> um, it was yeah, but obviously not trying, not not hard enough. But it was. Um, it was just one of those times yeah. that we didn't try to not and, yeah. and and just got pregnant, like very, very fortunate to get pregnant really easily. Yeah. That was, you know, God's way of saying to us, no, you've got yeah. time yeah. on your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it is, a, you know, it is quite emotional thinking about yeah. it because, because, you know, AJ was obviously, he was born and he was very sick. And yeah. he had meningitis when he was little. He was six weeks old, and he was he he was in the unit for a week. And I couldn't breastfeed because I had just had my double mastectomy a year and a half before, and and I couldn't give him what what I 
what I needed to give him, you know, what the body urges you to do, I couldn't do it. Yeah. So it was all of that. And then knowing, knowing, because I had booked it in that six months after he was born, I was going to have the hysterectomy. Yeah. So it was a lot. Mm. That's so, especially after having a baby when your emotions are up so high mm. anyway, and to have that on top of you. Mm. Um, so with, like you obviously found it because your dad had it. Mm. Like, will you have to have that conversation with your own kids about yeah. having the gene? You will. I've been very open with my kids. I mean, AJ doesn't understand it, obviously, but yeah. um, you know, we're we're in the public eye. You know what we what what I've been through. I've been quite open and honest with. And Faith's eleven, like she, she she's on TikTok. She reads yeah. the Daily Mail for God's sake. So everything's kind of <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, so. You know, being open with faith has been something that me and Hugh's been been very willing to do. Yeah. If she asks any questions, we answer it the best of my ability, of our ability. Um, and you know, she knows that I have scars. So when she was little, she would ask about about the tummy and yeah. the boobs and things. And she is aware that I have this gene. And um, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times in in conversation. Yeah. And um, actually recently, more recently, probably about six weeks ago, she did say that, um, would I have to get my boobs taken away as well? Yeah. And um, it's just like, because I don't have the answer, right? Mm. Yeah. And she can't be tested, can she? She's, what, 18 or something? Yeah, I mean, you can do it privately. I just can't get my head around doing that to be what, honest what privately or wait until just, she's just yeah wait until she's of an age where mm. she wants to decide to get tested because mm. she could decide yeah. not to you know i was yeah. at an age that where i was already mature enough to make that yeah. decision and um, because i didn't know until i was in my 30s mm. she already knows that she has a 50 percent risk of having it and yeah. so the decision for her to be tested or not I think is way harder than me mm. because mm-hmm. she's younger yeah. mm. to find out something that could then determine the rest of her life. So, yeah. <clears throat> so it just has to be her decision. Yeah. I I would, you know, if she asked my opinion, I would urge her to be tested. But whether yeah. she gets tested as young as 18, not so sure if I'm that keen on that. I think I that's don't know. very young. Yeah, but you just, you just don't know what the No, because is. you can make decisions that, that paves mm. the way that you don't... <sighs> that you might not need to make right there and then. But then maybe Absolutely. she won't have it and she doesn't have to worry about it, then there's there's that side to it too. Yeah. It's a difficult one. Yeah, it is. And also my son as well. Like, AJ has a 50% risk of, yeah. of, of carrying the gene and that would have a knock-on effect with him as well because it increases the risk of male breast cancer and prostate cancer. And also, if he had it, then he had children and had a, a girl. It, it just goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, Colleen, you had a sister, Bernie, who mm. sadly died of cancer. Yeah. And she, you were saying earlier that she never had that gene. Well, I've got three sisters with breast cancer. So my yeah. eldest sister was the first one to get it back in 2000. Um, you know, she just found a lump when it was cancer. And then Bernie, obviously, then a few years later. Um, oh, no, Linda, actually. Yeah. Linda then found it in 2006. Um and my eldest sister, when she found it, because she found it very early, um, she just had to have a lumpectomy. Right. And um, she did have chemo and stuff like that. And she went like straight into remission, didn't have a mastectomy or that. And then Bernadette got it um, and um, had mastectomy. Um, but sadly, she only lasted three years. 
Wow. With it. Um, and Linda, again, had a mastectomy. Uh, Linda left it a bit long. I think that's the whole point for me as well, is just checking it and finding because there is mm. so much amazing treatment and you know success stories as well there's a lot of tests you can have there's, all those marker tests and yeah, everything there's yeah. tests. but what was so we were under the assumption well there's three of our sisters there's six girls we must carry the gene here yeah, yeah. and they got tested and they didn't have the BRCA gene at all yeah so therefore we didn't need to be tested. Mm. Well, they wouldn't test us actually because they said there's no there's no connect there's no mm. gene connection. However, the they did say it could be a rogue gene from my dad's side because no one in my mom's side of the family had ever had breast cancer, but my dad's sisters later, yeah. much later on in life in their eighties, had had breast cancer. Um, <clears throat> so they said it's either a gene we haven't found or it's a rogue gene from your dad. Yeah. But I went through the same thing of if I have this test and it says I, I have got the gene or my sister's had the gene, I would I was definitely looking into having a, is it elective? Selective? Yeah, an yeah. elective surgery, like a double mastectomy. Yeah. But funnily enough, it was my sister Linda who said to me, please don't. I don't Why did she say it. that? Um, because in her opinion, it's a hard... Yeah, very, very hard operation to go mm. through, you know. Um, and the recovery process is, I mean, it's a its a major operation. Yeah. Um, that has, side, can, you know, <laughs> ongoing kind of side effects, you know, she said it's painful. And she said, I'll be so upset for you if you have that done and then you get cancer somewhere else. Yeah. She went, I'll be so annoyed <laughs> for you because you don't carry the gene, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So you might not get it. Yeah. And because I am so aware of it, I constantly am vigilant about checking myself. If yeah. I'm ever worried, I go straight to my doctor. And um, because of the family history, we have a specialist that we see. I see him every year, and then every two years now, I get a, a mammogram. Yeah. So I'm kind of on top of it. Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of it. Um, You've had, but a, it's been. It's just been. You know, cancer's really destroyed my family you know that's really it's been with you guys and linda now years. you know so linda then um had a fall she was clear for 10 years well in remission for 10 years and um you know only last year fell up her stairs and broke her hip and then when she went to the a and e she said i knew because three doctors came in and shut the door oh god so she knew it wasn't just a broken hip and then they found she had secondary breast cancer that had gone to her hip and then from there it went a bit into a liver and just recently um, it's gone to a brain. But the good news is, again, so she started radiotherapy, she's now having chemotherapy again and then on the way here today, she has to go every three months for testing and for our family, it's three months waiting of hell because yeah. every day we know she's going on that three months, you're thinking, oh, I don't... Like I was on Loose Women today knowing she was getting yeah. her test results. And I'm, I saw the text when I came off. And, you know, before you open it, you think, oh, God. Yeah. And um, actually, it was good news that the um, radiotherapy and the chemo that she's having at the moment has shrunk it a lot in her brain. Oh, brilliant. So they're really, really pleased with her results. But it's yeah. just a constant in the family and always will be a worry. Yeah. 
for all of us, you know. How do you have that initial conversation? It was your sister Anne who got it first. You said in two thousand, mm. is that right? How, mm. how did she have that initial conversation with you to tell you that she had cancer? Well, Anne, my eldest sister, is very matter of fact. So she literally just went, "Okay, I've just been to the doctor. I've had these results, and um, I'm just letting you all know I've got breast cancer." <laughs> wow. And we all went. It was like she was going, what do you want for dinner? Yeah. 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 It was literally that. And we all, it was so shocking. But because it was the first one and because she'd, she'd found it so early. Yeah. Um, and she said, they've told me I don't need a mastectomy. They said I don't actually need chemotherapy, just radiotherapy. But she said, I want it all. <laughs> I want the chemotherapy. I want you to blast me with everything you have. So she actually chose to have the chemo, actually. Yeah. And then she was actually clear for 20 years. Mm. And we were just doing, we just finished recording um, the Nolans Go Cruising thing I did with my sisters um, yeah. a couple of years ago. And um, Anne found another lump. But hers wasn't classed as secondary because she'd gone 20 years, so it's a new right. cancer. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And then a week after that is when Linda found it in her hip. Oh. So during the whole of lockdown, Anne and Linda were having chemotherapy and they let them have it together in a room. Oh, so they wow. went, so it's, then they nice. both lost their hair together yeah. and yeah. kind of went through it together. And Anne, luckily, has got the all clear again. Um, Linda, sadly, is treatable but not curable right yeah. now. But, yeah, it's a constant worry. And more and what upsets me more is your kids worrying for you. Yeah. Because yeah. my kids are, like, I think pretty convinced that, you know, our mum's going to get it because mm -hmm. all our aunties have had it. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. And my daughter again. Yeah. You know, she's really worried. Um, so, yeah, it's just something that's constantly... So you're always around. kind of having conversations around it and trying to make people feel better. Like, yes. how do you make your sisters feel better, but also you're in a position where you feel awful because you're just worried well, about your I sister? Well, think, I think at the moment, you know, Linda is... Um, you know, Linda has had this... Forever. It's never gone with her, really. Yeah. And she got hers in 2006, so it's a lot of years, and it's a lot of years of treatment. And then the treatment causes so much side effects that she's on tablets for the side effects, which cause side effects. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just ridiculous. But because she faces it so head on, and she's even now, she's like, because they're still saying we can treat you, she's still going for it yeah yeah and so i sometimes i just feel like we're her army around her to protect her and support her and i have no right to you know break down in front of my sister yeah. when it's her that's going through with it i've just got to be there don't get me wrong i do break down but it's on my own like um you know and i'm also now it's really weird but i I feel I can't break down because if I start crying, I won't stop. Yeah. So I, I very much hold it all in because I just think I can't, I can't, you know, I just, I just won't stop. Yeah. You know? It's a really difficult one. Uh, Asmina, now I know you have a personal story too that we're going to jump straight in with the professional questions first. Um, is it like sometimes when people are looking for support, is it better to sometimes say nothing at all or you shouldn't back off like how do you approach something like that with somebody particularly if it's not somebody as close as your sister so as a general rule we would say it's better to say something if you can yeah and actually a lot of the time um 
we hear that people might back off because they just really don't know what to say and they're so scared of saying the wrong thing. Mm. But the thing is, it's like, if you don't know what to say, just literally say that, say, I, I don't, don't know, know what, what to yeah. say, yeah. exactly. Or say, you know, I'm lost for words at the moment. Or, you know, exactly say what you feel. Say, I really want to say something, but I'm so terrified that what I say will be wrong and I'll upset you more. So yeah. if you're not sure, like, what the good words are to say, just say exactly the thoughts that are going through your mind. And at least that way, mm. you've acknowledged it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if, if you're so worried that you kind of get paralysed by fear and you don't say anything, um, the person, they might feel ignored or they might feel that you don't care. And then mm. they might take that as a message that they have to shut down and not talk to you about the cancer. Mm. So if you can... Say something. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And in your experience, do you find that people who have been diagnosed are worried about being a burden on other people? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and and it's it's an interesting f- phenomenon that, that I see a lot because people are so worried about being a burden on someone else. Yeah. Yet if I sit them down in my clinic and if I say to them, OK, but what if the roles were reversed? You're telling me that you're worried about being a burden on your sister or your next door neighbour by asking for this little bit of help. But if the roles were reversed and if it was your sister that had cancer or if it was your next door neighbour that had cancer, wouldn't you want them to come to you and say, listen, hon, I just need a small favour? So It's It's so true. I think they, they do have a guilt. My sister Linda, she said the first thought that went in her mind when she... They, they said it spread to your hip. Her first thought was, I can't put my family through this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. That made her feel guilty. She yeah. felt yeah. guilty about telling us because she thought, I've got to put them through it all again. And I was like, why would you feel guilty? Yeah. It's not something you've done on purpose, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I also think the thing that we do with it as well sometimes is we we laugh a lot. Do She's you? hilarious with it, Linda. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Humor she says things that is, Honestly, I think humour gets us through it a lot. I feel like, yeah, it is a good way to get... Like, I remember one of my friends got cancer recently and she lost all her hair and everything mm. and she just kind of made a joke of it and yeah. she made a joke of like pulling your wig off yeah, in front of my kids it. and stuff and being like boo and <laughs> like she was just it was it was just her way of getting through it and I think like even that makes other people feel more comfortable yeah it does and it makes yeah. them feel then comfortable enough to ask the questions they yeah. maybe want yeah, to ask yeah, you know yeah, yeah absolutely right I mean obviously like I, I, I don't have cancer at the moment and I, I haven't had it yeah. um, but you know exactly what you're saying about how if people just say to you I don't know what to say are you all right or that's a silly question of course you're not okay you know oh does it hurt oh let's have a look at your new boobs or Mm. whatever the thing might be that's just better than nothing because then the friends who don't know what to say kind of step back from from the situation because they don't know what to say it makes it awkward for us to then talk to them about it. And all we want to do actually is be normal to talk about what's going on in life. Like somebody would talk about a breakup. Mm. We want to make it all right to be able to say, oh, I'm going in from operation. Oh, look look at these scars. Or, oh my God, can you see that one? Whatever it might be, it has to be almost normal chat. It's not normal. It's not great. Mm. But normal chat just makes us feel like we're just like, you know, You want to feel, but you don't want to feel different, I suppose. Just not, I think what it is, is like, like, 
whatever's going on in people's lives in general, whether it's really difficult or significant or, or sad or happy, everybody goes through their own stuff at the same time. Yeah. And you don't want to be singled out as you being the one that mm. needs a, either extra attention or that mm. you're the main burden on people or you're, that you're the one that people have to run around. Yeah. If, if it's just normal chats, then when you ask for a favour, mm. it's like saying, oh, can you come watch the kids while I go to my appointment? Like, yeah. just easy rather than overthinking mm. it. Yeah. Another conversation that could be difficult, you've had to have it with your daughter already, but, like, with a parent who has cancer and then has to tell their children, are there any good ways to go about that? Mm. So there are some brilliant resources that we keep in our clinics which can support those conversations. So there's one that's been made by a charity called the Fruit Fly Collective, and it's actually done like a comic book. And there's different comic strips for kids of different ages, so they can read about it. And, of course, Macmillan's got, um, like, a book that's called Telling Your Child You Have Cancer. Yeah. Um, and it's something in the clinic that we're always happy to help mums and dads with. Generally, um, we say try and tell the kids something, even if you don't want to tell them the whole truth, mm-hmm. even if you don't necessarily want to say the word cancer, tell them a little bit because kids are just so smart mm-hmm. at knowing yeah. when something's up. Yeah. And if you don't tell them, you know, that something's going on, like, oh, mum is not well, so she's going to see a doctor who's going to make her better, or daddy's got an owie, or daddy's got a sickie, whatever language you normally use for the kids' injuries, say something, because otherwise, even if you're not saying something because you're trying to protect them, you could actually end up making them worry more. Yeah. Mm. Because the thing is, is that kids with their understanding of how the world works, if they sense that an adult's upset, they tend to automatically think it's something that they've done wrong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they'll think, oh, um, I saw mummy looking sad and that was because I was naughty. Mm. They won't think, oh, maybe where mummy went, you know, mm-hmm. she had an appointment or something. So we would always say, if you can tell your kids something, it's better to. And there are loads of, like, healthcare professionals and people that will help you to say those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, actually, a, um, a lot of people that, that I look after who have cancer have said the school has been really good um, at helping them to tell the kids and support mm. the kids, keeping an eye out for some, you know, subtle changes in behaviour, mm. yeah. you know, that could indicate that actually the child is trying to process this information. So as as much as I'm sure people think it's it would be the worst conversation they'd ever have to have, there is actually a lot of support and a lot of help mm. out there to help you tell your kids if you ever find yourself in that situation. And what about a parent if their child has cancer? How do you navigate a conversation like that? So that's where absolutely the nurses and doctors that work with kids and teenagers who have cancer um, are the absolutely the best people um, to help with those conversations um, because, you know, again, um, children and teenagers, they really vary in their level of understanding and again it's just those sort of um, things that we always imagine that would be the conversation of our nightmares yeah. having mm. to tell mm. our kid that you know I mean I've, I've not ever worked with children who have cancer and I find it hard enough to like break an adult's heart yeah. let alone a little ones um, mm. so I absolutely take my hat off to like all of my colleagues yeah. that work with kids and teenagers and kids are just so resilient aren't I, exactly. they? and yeah. they live in the moment <laughs> 
Yeah. I think kids live in the moment, mm. whereas an, an adult, you get told that and you think instantly about yes. the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not going to see my grandkids, or yeah. I might not see my grandkids. Whereas kids go, okay, what's going to happen now, today? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, kids are resilient. And whenever I've had conversations with my kids, you know, not only with this, but with alcoholism and where mummy went to get help and all of that, they just want to know, okay, so when you're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah when you're back. Yeah. 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 Okay, you're... so it's no prosecco anymore, right? <laughs> so then Faith went to school and told all the all the kids at school, her friends at school, that mm. when their mums come round, they're not allowed to bring prosecco. They have to just bring coffee from now on, yeah. and that's how she processed yeah. it. Yeah. They're very yeah. black and white, aren't yeah, they? Absolutely. Very, yeah. People in general are kind, mm. and those people who haven't been so kind is usually because of where we are in our careers. Because you know we're out there, and it's usually the people at social home. media aren't social kind. media aren't kind. Mm, and, kind. and well, the majority are. That's yeah. unfair. Yeah, Actually, yeah. There's gorgeous yeah. people on social yeah. media, yeah. but it's the ones it's that just, are it's vile. It's the same are the people ones making the most yeah. noise. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, and it's unfortunate. And it'll be one person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Ten accounts. Yeah, and it's such a shame because you know I'm I'm big enough to understand the difference between. You know, that person sat at home, you don't know what they're going through. They yeah. could be going through their own stuff and mm. they could be very bitter or they could yeah. be very sick themselves. Yeah. yeah. However, it does hurt. Of and that yeah. one comment does stick in. The it's day my sister Bernie died, someone messaged me on social media and said, I hope you get cancer like you and die like your sister. Yeah. That oh was the day she God. died. But you have to go. What's wrong with you? Okay, I need to. I need yeah. to just get rid of that because yeah. that there's something not with that person. I th- yeah, yeah, if you delete and block people yeah. like that, they you realise that you get so much like less noise because yeah. it is the same person yeah. with like fifteen, twenty accounts. And actually, accounts. they're very sad people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've um, I had to mute all all of the inboxes mm. from people who I don't follow, like my friends and that. Um, and, and it's a shame because I know there's a lot of people on there wanting help. Now, first of all, unfortunately, we cannot help everybody. Mm-hmm. If we start getting back to people's people, we're in a conversation mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And if we did that with everybody who asks for help on any topic, we, we wouldn't see our families and mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But another reason I don't go on that is because there will be those negative yeah. things and and amongst all of them and it's not good for us you know yeah. we we and my that jo- one that sticks in yeah, your brain yeah and and my job isn't to ha- you know my job isn't to you get to back to everybody yourself. it's yeah. to look after my family myself and if being open and honest helps people amazing yeah yeah um, but i'm not a therapist no. and yeah. i'm not i'm not able to fix everybody mm. you don't want to be no one wants to be <laughs> well, some people do <laughs> yeah um, Asmina, you are an expert on talking about this because you are a Macmillan staffer, but you also have per, uh, personal experience. So you had colon cancer, is that true? That's right, yep. And when did you get that diagnosis? Um, so I was um, 25 and I was in my first wow. career, which was not in working in a hospital at all. Um I was working in the city in corporate finance. So I was all like me, myself, Mm. my calculator, my deals, my clients. Um, And then I started getting ill. So um, lost a lot of weight, um, bad diarrhea, couldn't really keep any food down, blood Mm. in the toilet, all that kind of thing. Um, And when I first went to the doctors, they thought that I was having a flare up of um, an inflammatory a bowel disease called Crohn's disease, which is something I already had from when I was a child. Um, But when they did the test, they basically found inside the lining of my intestines all these precancerous cells. And so the doctor, he sat me down, really kind man, and he said to me, Asmina, it's not a question of if you get cancer, 
it's a question of when. And he said to me, um, look, you know, looking at the results of this endoscopy, I don't think time is on our side. And so a bit like what Michelle said earlier, um, they offered me surgery and I decided straight away mm. that I was happy to have the whole of my colon and rectum taken out. And so ever since then, I have something. Yeah. It's oh, a bag, no, um, an ileostomy bag, um, and that's with me for life. Yeah. Um, but because I did have that massive surgery and had everything taken out so early. At 25, wow. Yeah, I didn't need any chemotherapy mm. or any radiotherapy or anything like that afterwards. I was literally just massive operation, put yourself back together. Um, but because I was off work for so long with the operation, that's when I decided that I needed a do-over with my career. And so I went back to uni as a mature student and started all over again wow. and have wow. ended up now working in the same hospital where many yonks ago I was born. Really? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Wow. What a great amazing. story, darling. Did you have to have, um, have, have counselling to make that decision? Same with you, Michelle. Did you have to have counselling or...? Because it is a massive it decision, is. isn't yeah. it? It is. From my memory, um, the lady who, who told me that I had it, um, there was there was guidance, there's pamphlets, mm. you know, got went away with loads of leaflets. Um, and I think that there was definitely an, uh, uh, an open question of, you can come back and talk about it. But yeah. me being me, just made the decision and went for mm. it. Um, my my big regret is not getting counselling over the hysterectomy because mm. um, yeah. that yeah. that really that the yeah. menopause and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Really yeah. all of the. Did you take up counselling? No. So I mean, I I was so certain that I just wanted this part of my body taken out and chucked in the medical waste or wherever mm. it goes. Yeah. Um, that my, my decision, I was just like, no, I want this out of my body um, because I felt like I was living with this ticking time bomb mm. inside me. Yeah. So I just wanted it gone. So I can't actually remember if back then I was offered mm. you know, yeah. counselling, but I my mind was made up mm -hmm. in an instant. How did you have the conversation with your parents, though? Because you were only 25 and it's a huge operation to mm. go through. So um, they were super supportive. And also I'd grown up with like an auntie mm. who had had a colostomy bag, but for a different reason. She had suffered with something called colitis. Mm. And so thankfully I'd grown up with this like mm. really positive role model of this auntie. She was like tall and glamorous. She'd wear these beautiful saris and she'd host the most wonderful parties and things. So to me, I didn't have that fear of, oh, I'll have a bag and, you know, um, the poo will be in the bag and that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think role models are so important, which mm. is why it's brilliant that we've got mm. Michelle and Colleen and yourself, like, talking about well, these you. things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's my job, though, Colleen. No, 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 <laughs> well, I get paid. Yeah, you're right. But you're, you're right. You're, <laughs> your personal experience <laughs> has, has made you into, you know, an amazing, yeah. amazing example of what you trade now as well. Like, you, like you've got. I feel like you would, you would it. always have had the, the conversation the same way back then when you were 25. Yeah. You probably could have been the same as you are now in nursing, just mm. being able to like break it Can to I somebody. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> of course, well, you got a name for it. No, so oh, everyone I, I know has like a name. Adele Roberts has called yeah. hers Audrey. Yeah, but I never gave mine for a name, and Audrey. I never gave mine a name. And then I was like, oh, I've been so long without it having a yeah. name. It would be weird if I suddenly started to say Fred's there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> everyone I meet that Billy the bag. has them always has a name. <laughs> 
with um, with diagnosis and stuff like that, are there some words that people just shouldn't say? Like when people say, "Oh, I'm fighting cancer, or cancer," or like the battle with cancer, are they bad things to say? Like, how do you you feel about that with your sister? Well, it's really difficult because I've I now know because people you say, "Oh, she's fighting cancer" or battling, like you said. Yeah. But Linda likes to say, "I'm living with." Yeah. Because the problem is by battling and fighting if they if they then get told there's nothing more we can do it's almost like you feel a bit like a loser I lost yeah. the fight yeah. type of thing. Okay. So she likes to say I'm living I'm not you know I'm not dying from cancer I'm living with it. Um but to me they are like I'm I'm sorry but you know I'm I'm in awe of everyone that goes through this. Um but obviously for my sister because of her attitude and that you know, I just think she's such a fighter. I'm sorry yeah. she is. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it doesn't make me think, oh, she lost the fight, like, if anything happens. But her fight is incredible, Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, she'd rather people say, so you're living with cancer rather than, yeah. you know. And both of you are really open talking about anything mm. that you've been through, which yeah. I think is amazing. Do you, do you think yourself it's very important to do that? To talk. To talk mm-hmm. about things, to, like, different oh, experiences. I think it's, I think it's so important to talk yeah. about every... I mean, me and Michelle yeah. just well, have a shut-up. <laughs> <laughs> oh talk about God. what you like, we'll join in. I don't think that there's any questions I, have not, no. I wouldn't answer, to no. be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, not everybody's like us, and, mm. and a lot of people... Um, don't deal with big situations by by talking. Mm. Um, they they keep things in, and but then you know, mm. Colleen's just said there that she's mm. keeping in the the tears because she mm. might flow. I I keep in things like that as well, yeah. and that's not great either. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any right right or wrong way, but I do think opening conversations like what we're doing today then gets people's thoughts patterned mm. to then talk about things. Yeah. yeah. I also like the way you said that because as, as we're here today and we're being honest and mm. open and trying to help people through that, you said earlier that you can't help everyone on Instagram and you just can't. Mm. Like mm. or anywhere else they're mailing you, it's really hard. So I think having a conversation like this, yeah. you can help more people rather than trying to help everyone mm. individually because you wouldn't be able to. Mm. It's very difficult to 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 be able to answer all those questions but yeah. also be the reason why they then take the next steps yeah mm. we like we we can't be m- made responsible no. for a decision we can't say that you should do exactly. that and then they yeah. do it and it goes all wrong we can tell yeah. is what we've done our experience in mm. these matters how we've dealt with it yeah. and educate people in what we've decided and what else is out there you know every every journey has to be an individual decision making because like you know like I just said 12 years ago medicine's a little bit different now Mm. there's more screening opportunities I could go to the doctors now Mm. and say right okay I've got BRCA what what's my options well you can have regular screening every six months Mm -hmm. there's no need for you to have a radical surgery and I'd be like okay great and have changed. Would you would you have had support with therapists or anything like that, or what would you recommend to people going through something like? Linda has therapy all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's been having it for the last ten years because there's certain things I know that equally she doesn't want to share with her family because she yeah. doesn't want them to be upset at the fact that mm-hmm. she's, you know, the odd time. I remember she'd done a VT for me on some show I was on, and it was the first time I'd heard her say. I'm terrified of dying. And right. she never said that. Yeah. And I instantly was crying because I thought, God, she's never told us that, which means she's going to bed and feeling that. But that's why she has a therapist, because yeah. she tells her therapist, yeah. like, everything. Yeah. And that helps her, because 
I think as families, as friends, we all try and protect each other. You yeah. know, so I don't want to sit in front of Linda and sob my heart out and go, I'm terrified of you dying as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't want to upset her. Yeah. Mm. So hard sometimes to talk to friends and family mm. because you are worried about their reactions yeah. and protecting them. Mm. So something like a counsellor or a therapist or even call the Macmillan support line. Mm. I mean, you know, they're, they're people that you can talk to who are outside the family who aren't going to be shocked or upset mm. by a single word that you say, mm, yeah. no matter how brutally honest you feel like being that mm. day. Mm. So there is there is plenty of other help out there for mm. all sorts of problems. I think also, like, surround yourself with people going through the same things. Yeah. Now and again. Because the conversation then is, is like, there's no holes barred. Because yeah. when you talk to people who are in going through the same thing as you you are people just understand like all I'm doing right now I'm relating it to alcoholics right mm -hmm. so when I'm in an AA group or a CA group and I'm talking and, and, and I'm talking to complete strangers but they get what I'm saying more than my husband does because and it's not because it. I don't want to open up to my husband but there's bits about alcoholism and my recovery and the way I'm feeling that just alcoholics get yeah. Well, there's nothing worse than somebody saying, "Yeah, I know how you feel," and you oh, want to go, "You have you no know. idea." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you've yeah. no idea because yeah. you've never experienced it. Yeah. yeah, there's no point me if you were talking about anything you've been through, mm -hmm. whether it's to do with the BRCA gene and mm -hmm. the, you know, of me going, "Yeah, I know how you feel, Michelle," because I don't. Yeah, yeah. no idea. Ex exactly I can that. only imagine how I'd feel, mm -hmm. but yeah. I've no idea. Yeah. Exactly that. Okay, I have a final question, and this is for all oh, three no, of you. I know. If someone's listening to this and is terrified of starting a conversation, um, what positive thing can you tell them that comes out of these chats? Even if the news is bad. It's like literally that old adage, like a problem shared is a problem halved, isn't mm, it? You yeah. know, the girls were saying earlier, talk about things like better out than in. Mm. Um, and you never know. It's like sometimes these conversations, whether they're direct or whether it's what you post on social media, they have a ripple effect. Um, you can be helping people mm -hmm. indirectly far and wide without mm. you even knowing it. So just don't don't be afraid to just put, put one word out there. And one word might lead to like more words mm. and a whole yeah. load of, of yeah. good can mm. come out of it. I think that um, by having a conversation with them, and, and just being a soundboard is 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 more beneficial than anything. And just sitting with them and telling them that they can talk if they want to talk, yeah. and they don't have to talk. And we we almost just don't say anything. Yeah. And we just let them talk. And, and sometimes then, a hug is enough. A hug is enough. Yeah. And if yeah. they want to cry, cry, let them cry. Mm. Yeah. Like don't go right. Okay, that's it. We're going out. Bye. Yeah. Like oh my god. <laughs> Like, don't force, just offer don't your support. force them to do anything. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, sometimes Linda wants what she calls her couch days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we let her have them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the days she wants to lie on the couch by herself with a duvet. Yeah. And let all her emotions out. Yeah. And we let her do that maximum 48 hours. And then we all bang the door yeah, down. Yeah, and go, yeah. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Well, thank you all so much thank for you. having that conversation. Thank you. For thank us. you. That brings us to a close. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Colleen, Michelle and Asmina. That was a very moving episode and a really important one. Thank you for being so generous with your stories and your advice. And I know that you'll have helped a lot of people who are listening. 
And now an important last note for our listeners. In the UK, someone is diagnosed with cancer every two minutes. So please speak to your GP if you're worried about any aspect of your health or mental health. You can also contact one of the highly trained Boots Macmillan information pharmacists in every UK Boots pharmacy. Whether you need help with medication, information on supporting someone going through chemo, or support on next steps after treatment, you can visit a specialist pharmacist either in-store or online. Yes, virtual online video appointments are available and they're free. So please see our show notes for more info. There's also a really lovely beauty service available to anyone going through or recovering from cancer treatment. In a partnership between Boots, Macmillan and Number 7, specially trained beauty advisors offer advice for free in stores across the UK. Whether that's defining sparse brows and lashes or caring for suddenly brittle nails, this service helps people feel like themselves again. So please see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps us get the word out. And until next time. Goodbye.